Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to the Brian Danesburg Podcast, Christian Living in a Complicated World. I'm your host, Brian Danesburg, lead pastor of Alliance Bible Church. Located in Summary, <laughs> Southeast Wisconsin. Let me start with a provocative quote. As the government of the United States of America is not, in any sense, founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslimen, and as the said states never entered into any war or act of hostility against any Mahatmatan nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinions shall ever produce an interruption of the harmony existing between the two countries. Well, what do you make of that? I'm going to kick a hornet's nest today <laughs> and uh, wrestle with that little question. Was America founded as a Christian nation? Now, before anyone can attempt to answer that question, we have to wrestle with definitions. We ha- what do we mean by Christian? What do we mean by founded? What do we mean by nation? What do we mean by this question? Because if we just assume that everybody's uh, inserting the same definition into this question, uh, we might be making assumptions where we shouldn't be. So, I first want to deal with this word Christian. I think this is the most important word in the question. Was America founded as a Christian nation? What do we mean by this word Christian? Well, as a Christian, the place I want to go to get a definition for that word is the Bible. The very first time the word Christian is used in the Bible is in the book of Acts. Chapter 11, verse 26, it says in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, we use this term Christian all the time, but but the Acts 11 is the genesis of the term. What's more remarkable, perhaps, is it was not a label that these Christians in Antioch gave to themselves. It was a label outsiders to Christianity gave to them. In fact, the first documented case of Christians using the term Christian with one another doesn't occur until the second century. So why would outsiders to Christianity settle on the label Christian to describe this group? Now, we know that they took the Greek name for Messiah, which is Christos, and added a Latin suffix to produce a hybrid word we pronounce in English today as Christian. We live in a time today where names are nothing more than labels. Names are simply identification markers. Using names merely as identification markers wasn't something ancient people practiced. A name back then had to convey something meaningful about that person or that group or or the thing behind the label. The name had to make sense with what that name represented. So there was tremendous thought put into naming. Tremendous thought that was put into naming. Uh, So this term Christian 
carries with it something more profound than we may realize. As an example, a similar thing happened to George Fox and his followers in 1640, when he stood before a certain Justice Bennett and, quote, bid him to tremble at the word of the Lord, end quote. In response, the Justice called Fox and his followers Quakers. Elton Trueblood comments, one of the best evidences that the image which Fox and his associates conveyed to their contemporaries was a dynamic one is that, uh, is that provided by the n- nickname Quaker. Same thing happened to the Methodists, who were so named because of their systematic, methodical pursuit of holiness. So, with that background, what do you think this newly formed church in Antioch was conveying to the bustling metropolis around them that caused them to be called Christians? Well, there must have been a heavenly vitality now burning in the midst of this depraved city with its idolatry and prostitution. There was a so-called Christness to this church. It was so fundamental to them um, that their race, their ethnicity, their country of origin became secondary to them. And outside observers took note of this. It's worth asking and pondering if a spiritual dynamic operated among us, causing people to reach for a new word to describe us, what word, what would the word be? What words would they use to describe us? What would they describe? How would they describe us now? When God's people live for Christ in such depth and power that those around them have to strive for a new term to describe what they see, how awesome is that? So, what do we mean by the word Christian? (laughs) A Christian is someone who possesses a Christness to them. A Christness to them. They follow Jesus. They possess gratitude for what he's done for us in his death and his resurrection. Christians are humbled by the mercy and the grace that they've been shown. There is Christness to them. So, all of that is worth reflecting on when considering the question, was America founded as a Christian nation? I want to make sure that I'm using the term Christian in a way that would be recognizable to the authors who coined the term. In this case, the biblical writers, more specifically Luke in the book of Acts. You want to use the term Christian in a way that would be recognizable to the biblical authors. If you were to do a man-on-the-street interview asking each person what Christian means, you'd get dozens of different definitions. You really would. But I'm not really interested in what the masses think is the definition of the term. Not really interested in that. I'm only interested in how the Bible defines the word Christian. So now that I'm grounded in how the scriptures define Christian, I can conduct some experiments. One such experiment is to look for key words that are distinctly Christian words to see if they appear in our founding documents. For example, if Christian means to have a certain Christness to us, then look for the words Jesus or Christ in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist Papers. Do a word search of those four documents for other key words that help us arrive at the core of what it means to be Christian. 
words such as gospel, cross, grace, forgiveness, faith. If America was indeed founded as a Christian nation, biblically speaking, then we should bump up against those concepts in our founding documents. Now, I'll return to the results of that little experiment later. Another experiment or exercise that's worth chasing is how American leaders at this time thought about Christian ideas. Now, there are obviously a number of them that you could look to and you could go read and research. I'm going to do a very uh, skimpy overview of John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, and Benjamin Franklin, three, three big heavy hitters. So let's start with John Adams. Adams described the ethical teaching of Jesus as the, quote, most benevolent and sublime, probably that has been ever taught, and more perfect than those of any of the ancient philosophers. Those are high marks that Adams gives Jesus as an ethicist. Clearly, ethicist. Clearly, Adams was an admirer of Jesus as an ethical leader, as an ethical thinker. Yet, Adams could not accept the historic Christian belief that Jesus Christ was God or that his death atoned for the sins of the world. Adams said it this way, an incarnate God, an internal, self-existent, omnipresent, omniscient author of this stupendous universe suffering on a cross? My soul starts with horror at the idea. Adams thought the notion of, quote, a mere creature or finite being making satisfaction to infinite justice for the sins of the world was a convenient cover for absurdity. So, clearly, Adams is denying the deity of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, he's also casting aside the traditional Christian belief in the Trinity and throwing out completely the atonement. How about Thomas Jefferson? Uh, Jefferson, <laughs> Jefferson was extremely harsh uh, with the New Testament book of Revelation. He described the uh, fantastic stories in this book as, quote, the ravings of a maniac, no more worthy nor capable of explanation than the incoherences of our own nightly dreams, end quote. He concluded that, quote, there is not coherence enough in them to countenance any suit of rational ideas. <laughs> uh, however challenging the book of Revelation is to understand, and it certainly is, it still is the word of God, and how one postures oneself before it says a lot about you. Uh, I'm not prepared to describe, nor should any Christian be prepared to describe any part of Scripture as the ravings of a maniac. In another place, Jefferson said this, he said, among the sayings and discourses imputed to him, to Jesus, that is, by his biographers, I find many passages of fine imagination, correct morality, and of the most lovely benevolence and others again of so much ignorance, so much absurdity, so much untruth, charlatanism, 
an imposture as to pronounce it impossible that such contradictions should have proceeded from the same being. I separate, therefore, the gold from the dross, restore to him the former, and leave the latter to the stupidity of some and the roguery of others of the disciples. Of this band of dupes and impostors, Paul was the great Corpheus and the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. Eh, they don't mince words, do they? This led Jefferson to produce two different versions of the Gospels. Neither of them contained stories from the life of Jesus that could be explained only supernaturally. The phrases and stories that Jefferson left out of his Bible are revealing. His account of Jesus' birth, for example, makes no reference to angels or prophecies. The words of Jesus that correlate with traditional Christian doctrines, such as the reference to him preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, were omitted. All references to healings and other miracles, such as the turning of the water into wine at the wedding feast of Cana, were cut. The last verse in the Jefferson Bible reads, there, they, there, there laid they Jesus, and they rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. That's how he ends his version of the gospel. There's no mention of the resurrection. So in the end, the Jefferson Bible is perhaps our best guide to the rational religion of this particular quote-unquote follower of Jesus. What about Benjamin Franklin? Well, Franklin is pretty clear. He writes this, Here is my creed. I believe in one God, creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped, that the most acceptable service we render to him is doing good to, to his other children, that the soul of man is immortal and will be treated with justice in another life respecting its conduct in this. These I take to be the fundamental principles of all sound religion, and I regard them as you do in whatever sect I meet with them. As for Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion as he left them to us, the best the world ever saw or is likely to see. But I apprehend it has received various corrupting changes, and I have, with most of the present dissenters in England, some doubts to his divinity, though it is a question I do not dogmatize upon, having never studied it, and think it needless to busy myself with it now, where I expect soon an opportunity of knowing the truth with less trouble." In a later place, he writes this, I believe that there is one God who made all things, that he governs the world by his providence, that he ought to be worshipped by adoration, prayer, and thanksgiving, but that the most acceptable services of God is doing good to man, that the soul is immortal, and that God will certainly reward virtue and punish vice either here or hereafter. So you've got Franklin's belief in God, uh, providence, worship, prayer, 
doing good to one's fellow man. All these are compatible with Christian teaching. But they fail to address the supernatural aspects of Christianity or those doctrines that believers are required to embrace by faith. Franklin's Creed, for example, contains no reference to the deity of Christ, the Trinity, Christ's atonement for sins, the resurrection, the resurrection of the body, or the belief that one is truly saved by affirming such doctrines. All right, so we've done two exercises. We've, we've looked at, um, uh, well, I've suggested looking at the founding documents. So let me go back to that. In this first exercise, we're looking for words, we're looking for concepts in America's founding documents that are distinctly Christian in the only sense that matters, the biblical sense. We're looking for words such as Jesus, Christ, gospel, cross, grace, forgiveness, faith. We're looking for concepts that capture the essence of Christianity biblically defined. But if you search for those, if you search those four founding documents, you will not find any of those words in there. You will find very little, even in terms of conceptual identification uh, of those key um, biblical themes, gospel themes, distinctly Christian themes. So this is a significant strike against the notion America was founded as a Christian nation. In the second exercise, we looked briefly at key statements made by the heavy hitters of America's founding, John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin. And uh, we observe they possess remarkable commonality among them. Uh, That is, they they love the ethical teaching of the Bible. They love the ethical teaching of Jesus in particular. And perhaps, I've not looked at every founding document from every nation across the globe, but, but perhaps the United States in our founding documents and our founders used more of the ethics, so to speak, of the Bible than any other nation. I'm not sure, but it's certainly prevalent. They love the ethical teaching of the Bible. They love the ethical teaching of Jesus in particular, but, but are rather quick to dismiss the supernatural, including the deity of Christ and his resurrection. If you were then to cobble together the collected beliefs of men like these, you would actually end up with a gospel that saves no one. Was the founding of America influenced by the moral teachings of Scripture? Yes, without question. But was it founded as a Christian nation? Let me return to the opening statement at the very top of the the episode. Here's what I said. As the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion, as it has in itself no character of enmity against the laws, religion, or tranquility of Muslimen, and as the said states never entered into any war or act of hostility against any Mahatmatan nation, it is declared by the parties that no pretext arising from religious opinions shall ever produce an interruption of the harmony existing between the two countries. Where is this from? Well, this is from the Treaty of Tripoli. Notice it includes the assertion that the United States was not founded on the Christian religion. 
where did this document come from? Well, this treaty was signed by President John Adams and ratified unanimously by the Senate without debate. The text of the treaty was published in several newspapers, and there was no public opposition to it. So apparently, to assert America was not founded as a Christian nation would not have been a controversial statement to make among those who founded the country. Was America founded as a Christian nation? My answer to that is no. That is, if we're using the Bible's definition of the word Christian, America was not founded as a biblically Christian nation. Were the founding fathers influenced by the moral and ethical teachings of the Bible? And did some of these ethical principles find their way into our nation's founding documents? Yes, without question. In fact, the one ethical principle rooted in scripture that they captured best, in my view, was the belief that human beings are not naturally good and have potential for enormous evil. That is a consistent and repeated teaching in scripture. And so when the founders went to craft a new government, they put in place numerous checks and balances as an attempt to minimize the corrosive effects of human evil. So when we're talking about the United States and whether or not it was founded as a Christian nation, we need to be very nuanced with it. Make sure you're defining your terms with specificity and make sure you're going back to the primary source documents to check against those definitions. Thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time.